In this episode of Physically Spiritual, I will discuss the path of emotional healing and growth. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I have been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. On this journey of Season 3 of Physically Spiritual, I've been focusing on emotional health and overcoming habits of sin. And in the episodes up to this point, uh, the, the kind of standard monologue episodes, I've been sharing different insights, both from science and from Catholics who are mental health professionals and other Christians, about what it means to be mentally healthy, what it means to be emotionally healthy, how do we overcome emotional and mental illnesses? How, how do we understand what happens in the body, in the brain, in the mind, when people are struggling emotionally? And with this episode, I want to make a shift and go from focusing on a lot more on theory and the science side to shift and talk more about the practicals. Okay, now we have this framework, this understanding, an understanding of the interaction of, of fear with our body, of trauma, of um, understanding spiritual wounds, of understanding uh, what happens when our emotions are, are repressed, how to grow our emotions, understanding the interaction of our, of our brain in this whole process. So we have this framework I've built up, and now we can use that information to talk about what we can do to heal emotionally and what we can do to grow emotionally. I started off the season talking about Jesus as the model of emotional health. When Pontius Pilate processes Jesus out uh, to the crowd before his crucifixion and proclaims, Behold the man, that that phrase reverberates through time and space into our day-to-day life. Behold the man. In a sense, Jesus is the model. He's the model human. He's the example of how things in a way kind of ought to be in his human nature. He was free of original sin born to holy parents, nurtured in their loving home. And this is, we could say, the normal process. This was God's original plan for all of us. And this was the design for how our emotions were meant to grow and be nurtured as we matured as children. Uh, Jesus' life wasn't without difficulty, though. As a young baby, him and his parents were refugees, had to flee to Egypt in, in the face of murder. It's I think clear from the scripture that Jesus also lived a poor life. They weren't wealthy people. Uh, Jesus faced a lot of difficulties growing up in different moments that could have caused trauma, but for him they didn't. And that's because of the loving home that he was in, the environment that he was in, the safety he gained from his parents, and the emotional nurturing and emotional food that he gained from that experience in the home. And this is God's intention for all of us. God wants us to be free of sin and free from the effects of other sins, free from original sin. God wants us to have holy parents who nurture us and love us and wants us to grow up in an environment where our emotions are invited and can grow naturally. But this isn't the typical process. This isn't our life. Right? We're all born with original sin. We're victim of other people's sins and also victims of our own sin. And, and these sins wound us. They change us. We're born to parents who are a mix of good and bad. You know, 
They're trying hard, but oftentimes failing and struggling. Our parents are bringing their own wounds and sins into their parenthood and repeating patterns of the past or struggling to not being able to overcome their own bad habits. So there's a, a humanity and a brokenness in our parents. And then we also have a, a, a mixed environment we grow up in, in an environment that's not necessarily suited for our bodies, not given all the things we need to flourish, uh, given a lot of counterfeits, a lot of counterfeits in, in entertainment, a counterfeits in, in relationships. And, and so these difficulties change us. We become repressed, traumatized, wounded in various ways. And it's important to recognize this because when we enter into our life in Christ, it doesn't all just magically go away. So, so many Christians struggle with this reality that they've been made a new creation, they're baptized, that Jesus has saved them, that original sin is washed away, and yet they still struggle, they still sin. They're sort of still left with themselves and having to face the reality of their life. A, a great illustration of this, I think, is something that might approximate as good as it could be. And so I want to share a little bit of the story of Dietrich von Hildebrand. Dietrich von Hildebrand is an interesting character. He was a famous philosopher in the early 20th century. He died in the 1970s. He was born to a noble German family, but he grew up in a beautiful home in Italy. His father was a famed sculptor. He grew up uh, in a loving and a wealthy household with uh, his mother, surrounded by a group of sisters, surrounded by beauty and art. They were all artists. They were all musicians in various ways. He was exposed really to the best of what European culture had to offer in education, uh, in an experience of, of an, learning and appreciation for beauty, and then being formed by the cultured arts of his times. As a, a young uh, student academic, he had a passion in philosophy. And he was the student of, of these really four great philosophers. If you were to look at the early 20th century and put together a list of like who would be the best people to study under, uh, I think all of his teachers would be on this list. Theodore Lips, Max Shaler, Edmund Husserl, Adolf Reinhardt. He was really uh, cultured and brought up in an environment that was really everything you could ask for. And just the practicals of how he was cared for, the exposure to the arts and the growth of his emotions. I'm thinking back to the episodes a couple episodes ago about Conrad Bars and how Conrad Bars talks about how to nurture and grow the emotions. And the environment he grew up in with the, the beauty of nature, of art, uh, was really a perfect environment for emotions to be nurtured. And then finally, this top-notch academic formation that he received. In his life, once again, not without difficulty, uh, he had a situation as a young man where he had a woman that he had fallen in love with, developed a relationship with, and wanted to get married to, but his parents didn't approve of her. And at the time in Germany, you had to receive the permission from your parents to marry if they were still alive. Uh, so he was really put in this situation where uh, he couldn't marry the woman who he loved, 
and felt he wanted to spend the rest of his, his days with. Um, and so they started cohabiting. They had a, they had a child together. Um, and it was after this that he has a conversion to the faith, a conversion to Christianity, a conversion to Catholicism. And interestingly enough, when he was presented with the truths of, of really all that the church demands um, in sexual morality, when he was presented with the fact he was eventually um, allowed to marry her uh, before his conversion, but he was con- confronted with the fact that his marriage wasn't recognized by the church, uh, confronted with uh, really the, the ways that he had lived out sexuality in the past and how that was different than the church's teaching, and also confronted with the church's very difficult teaching about contraception, he immediately assented to and followed the church's teaching in all these areas. So when he received that gift of grace, his conversion, I believe strongly he was uniquely suited to receive what God was offering him. Because of his upbringing, the love that he has experienced as a child, the environment he grew up in, the arts he was exposed to, the education he had received. So when you read his biography, it's like he almost immediately and freely was able to live even the most difficult teachings of the church with a certain level of of ease and passion and commitment. This is what his wife Alice wrote, uh, his second wife Alice wrote in his autobiography, The Soul of a Lion. She said, from then on, Dietrich's life was changed. His passionate love for beauty and for natural truth in no way waned. But he had found a beauty that was infinitely more ravishing, the face of Christ in his church and his church, and the supernatural message they convey, the path of humility and love leading to holiness. So he had experienced the best of what the world had to offer, the beauty of the arts, the beauty of of continental philosophy, uh, the the wisdom of the ancients, a a classical upbringing, uh, an upbringing that emphasized, I think, virtue in its own way, even though it wasn't formed by the church's values, so that So that when Christ came to him in the sacraments, there was a certain fittedness that grace perfected nature. Grace healed nature. Grace grace was able to freely flow through him in a way that for many other people, uh, their experiences many more blocks and many more difficulties. Now, this man isn't canonized. Popes have said, though, they believe that he'll be when, when history plays out in the 20th century, a doctor of the church and the doctors of the church are canonized before, um, before they're given that title. Uh, so who knows someday, maybe he will be, but the point is hopefully this illustrates, um, the connection between emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. If we're at a point of emotional maturity, when we experience conversion, when we experience that deeper relationship with God, uh, there's a freedom to it, an ease to it, a growth into it. Like I said, the normal path would be that we receive the sacraments as little children, and then we grow up in an environment that encourages and grows emotional health. So this would all sort of grow naturally as we grow. But many of us are at a point where our bodies are mature, but our emotions aren't. 
And so we find ourselves out of control. We find ourselves in places where we can't, um, where we can't do what we want to do. We don't live in freedom, the full message of, of God's gospel. When we are converted, some imperfections are lifted. There can be miraculous healings. But miraculous healings are primarily signs of God's kingdom or a special work of God's mercy. That in his providence, he just knows that it's what's best. It has to happen. I think some imperfections are healed after a period of struggle early on in conversion. So maybe six months, a year, within the first five years of trying to live the faith. But other things remain for us to struggle with. Other things uh, kind of linger in our souls. And it's clear that, that for whatever reason... God's not just going to take it away. So we have to to face the fact, I think, that it's not always in our best interest to receive an immediate and instantaneous emotional healing. There's a couple reasons for this, in my opinion. One, I think the natural process is didactic, meaning the journey itself is formative. There's, There's a value for us going through certain things. Uh, Stoic thought, uh, uses this formulation that the obstacle is the way. So so the way to become the person we're called to be is through our obstacles, through our difficulties. And, and this journey teaches us and equips us, makes us the best version of ourselves. There's also a value in experiencing God's love and mercy. We have to know that that everything that we have is dependent on God that we're creatures who our greatest and most fundamental need is God's love. And as, as fallen creatures, this expresses itself in a big way in God's mercy. And in this, we experience ourselves not just as saved, but also as lovable. That God keeps forgiving us, that God keeps loving us, that God keeps walking with us through the difficulties, through the challenges, and through the sufferings. I want to share a little bit about what Conrad Bars says about emotional healing. You know, in his age, um, there's a whole movement of the Catholic charismatic renewal that had started. And a big emphasis of the renewal is on healing, on praying over people for healing. But it's been noted that oftentimes the healings are physical in nature and not as frequently spiritual in nature. So this is what he says on this, on his book, Feeling and Healing, Your Emotions. He says, Although there are claims of similar healings of emotionally and mentally ill people occurring within a very short span of time, I doubt that this occurs very frequently. In my experience, the healing of the emotionally ill person takes place gradually and in stages. In my opinion, this is the more gentle, and loving way for God to deal with his afflicted children. So this this gradual healing process in stages, in parts, over a period of time, he's saying is actually more gentle, more loving. And he explains why this is the case. He says, a person who has been the victim of a neurotic disorder, which is just to say an emotional struggle, since childhood, would be at a loss as to how to live in a healthier manner if the Holy Spirit suddenly were to heal his disorder, his lack of experience would be a formidable obstacle. 
If he were to be surrounded by emotionally full-grown and integrated friends and relatives, it might be possible. But as conditions in society are now, the suddenly mature person would have considerable difficulty in convincing others that his way, not theirs, was truly healthy, normal way of life. So what he's saying here is if we were just made immediately emotionally healthy and mature, there would be this kind of disjointing that would happen. We live in this matrix of relationships. And so we've, we've built marriages, friendships, uh, relationships with coworkers. And, and there's a certain co-creation that happens when we make a relationship with somebody else. They know us and we know them. And we learn the sort of ease of interacting with one another. But it's based on a certain conscious and unconscious expectation. So if someone were to be immediately made emotionally mature by an act of supernatural grace, it would disjoint them in all of their relationships. In their marriage, there would no longer be an equal partnership. Uh, it, it, with their friendships, they would experience, I think, a certain poverty because the people in their lives couldn't reciprocate, couldn't meet them where they're at, and, and, and couldn't offer them the love that they could receive uh, the same way at work. So... So it's really, for this reason, typically not in our best interest that this healing happened instantaneously and miraculously. Uh, because the gradual process, really then, we're bringing everyone around us for the ride. Our healing presence, our emotionally maturing presence, is a presence that calls them out of the tomb too. It calls them forth to more growth, more maturity. Right, this is how he finishes. He says, What I do observe frequently and what I believe is the experience of all prayerful people engaged in inner healing through prayer is that the Lord heals in stages. He proceeds with healing from one traumatic memory to the next as they are offered to him for healing prayer, or he heals them according to his own wisdom without direction from the suffering person or therapist. So just because God doesn't instantaneously and immediately and perfectly heal us and cause emotional maturity in us, it doesn't mean that we're not without his grace. So God does heal us, but in stages. You might think of it as like bite-sized portions, <laughs> one, one bit at a time, a little bit of growth. All right, settle in, grow, develop naturally, and then another, another step, another bit of growth, settle in grow naturally, then another bit of, of intervention. And, and by this process, we're brought gradually into a more healed place. If you want to learn more about um, supernatural healing and prayer ministry, in season one, episode 23, I did an episode called Naturally Supernatural Healing, where I talk some about um, prayer for healing. And then earlier in this season, I talked about healing spiritual wounds through prayer in episode 10 of season three. So I'll have those episodes in the show notes if you want to go back and learn more about that topic now. So we're typically going through this natural, uh, gradual healing process. When we think about a healing process, it really follows the logic and design of a natural growth process. And with living natural things, for them to heal and grow, it doesn't actually require um, the intervention or force of will. 
What it requires is, one, that obstacles to healing and growth are removed. And then, two, the organism is provided with what it needs to grow. And it's just of the nature of a living thing that when the obstacles are out of the way and the food is given to it or the the nourishment is given to it, that it grows, that it heals. It takes care of that process without the force of human will. And I share that with you because going into this healing process, this growth process, you might be thinking of it as primarily an act of the will, an act of choice. Um, and, And sometimes the methods that we use will betray this. Um, I've talked in the season already about the way that typical people approach affirmations. Like you create a mantra of positive words that you say to yourself over and over again. And by this act of the will, you're sort of forming your own mind. Um, And I really don't think this is the best way to approach it. Think of a tree, uh, a tree. You might have seen a tree that grew into um, some kind of an obstacle in its growth process. Maybe a tree grew into a fence or another tree invaded its space. Or or maybe there was a big chunk taken out of it by a car that hit it or something like that. What, what a tree does is it ends up growing and continuing to grow, but adjusting to what's insulted, adjusting to what's damaged it. And maybe there'll be some kind of an overgrowth in that point or it's grown around the thing. And our emotional growth process can be kind of like this sometimes. One, the the trauma and wounds that we've experienced, the different difficult emotional things that have happened in our life, we've grown around those things. So there's something in our hearts um, that that sort of pushes through and, and, and tries to be more, even in spite of those difficulties, if they're still there. So the first step needs to be removing the obstacles of emotional healing. These obstacles might be summarized as lies, evil, and ugliness, the opposite of the true, the good, and the beautiful. Lies can be physical, emotional, and spiritual. The, The Lord says the truth will set you free, and this is true across the board. So we can experience uh, things that cause our body to believe untruth. And and I've talked some about the idea of trauma. I think what trauma does from a philosophical perspective is it causes our body to misperceive reality. So in a sense, our body experiences lies now in the present because of the past that it's had to cope with. We also experience emotional lies. It could be the, the... the kind of unconscious messaging, the self-talk in our heart, those voices in our head that tell us we're not good enough, we're not lovable, that we can't trust. Whatever that kind of emotional lie is, then we also have spiritual lies. We can literally believe false doctrine, which is harmful, or, or have ideas of what is, is a good, have a, a malformed ethics or morality, which will ultimately cause us harm. Or it could be a more subtle spiritual lie, a lie um, that has uh, some interaction with with maybe an evil spirit or something like that. But all these different experiences of untruth, of a physical, emotional, a spiritual lie will keep us bound. We also have other emotional obstacles like repression, the inability to feel an emotion that's there, a, a habit of pushing one emotion down with another emotion. So maybe you feel some kind of uh, 
sexual pleasure or an attraction to somebody, and then you have a, a, a habit of fearing that because of maybe the consequences of it or messaging you re- received as a child, and that fear represses, pushes down, makes it so you don't feel that feeling anymore. And what happens is that repressed emotion never grows, never matures, can never be brought under the direction of your reason and will and become something that can help you become the best version of yourself. Another obstacle is trauma. These experiences that change our bodies, they change us epigenetically, they change us uh, neurologically. And, and in that trauma, then, we, we react in the present in a way that doesn't match what's actually there. It's informed by those previous difficult experiences. So now we sort of overreact in the present. A situation that's um, a typical everyday obstacle can feel like a situation that your life is threatened and your body reacts that way. Another obstacle that needs to be removed are wounds, spiritual wounds. The ways these difficult experiences have, uh, have formed lies in us, and then with that, we make unholy vows. Commitments in our heart to be self-reliant, to not rely on God and others, to provide for us. Essentially, we're trying to save ourselves in reaction to the difficult things we've gone through. So this is just a kind of a spattering of different kind of obstacles that are in the way of our emotional healing. So, so we're going to go through tools in the upcoming episodes of how to overcome these in more profound ways. I've tried to kind of spatter them through the episodes at the beginning of the season too. Um, so you have some tools if you listen to those episode previous episodes. So what do our emotions need? Emotional food is essentially anything that's true, good, and beautiful. The opposite of the obstacles to our emotional health, lies, evil, and ugliness. So then the number one food we need is prayer and meditation. Prayer and meditation. In prayer, having a relationship with the one who is true, good, and beautiful, God. Experiencing his love, his mercy. In meditation, using our mind to enter into the true, the good, and the beautiful in the scripture, in the details of our lives, in the truth of the faith, to ponder these things and allow them to impact our heart. We need loving and nurturing caregivers. Loving and nurturing caregivers. Ideally, you know, loving and nurturing parents. Thank God for our parents. Uh, close friends, loving spouses. Uh, all these people are, are essential to having a fully formed emotional life. In our contemporary culture, then, we also have sort of surrogate caregivers, professional caregivers, and these are counselors, different people who provide mental health services professionally. Essentially, what they're doing in that counseling relationship is giving you something like, you might they might use the language like unconditional positive regard. Uh, they're receiving whatever you say, whatever you tell them, uh, they're giving maybe some, some wise counsel, asking questions, guiding the process of self-discovery. But in it, one of the most important elements of a counseling relationship is the relationship itself. The relationship itself is the primary healing tool. So we'll talk more about that in later episodes. Uh, and then finally, our emotions need the arts. They need good literature. They need beautiful music. They need to see beautiful things, both recreations of beautiful things and artwork, sculptures, paintings, but also nature the beauty of a good life, a beautiful architecture, whatever it is, 
but this is the beauty of all these things is emotional food. Uh, it, it really does uh, encourage us to feel things in a way that the feelings uh, are are in accord with God's design, right? So they they correspond with the natural law. They have a harmony with the natural law. And so it's a place that we can we can emote, we can feel safely. And I would contrast this to to different expressions of like art, music, literature that don't follow the natural law. So they incite passions, they incite feelings in us that actually move us toward what's not in our best interest. Right? It's they're not in accord with the natural law to some in some way or another. Uh so when we experience those things, it probably will then take some self-control not to be taken off the path. So in, in the classical sense, literature, the arts, were supposed to express uh, a truth, express a goodness, express a beauty. And in and, and, and our contemporary culture, um, won't go deeply into it, but because the influences of philosophy, especially postmodern thought, um, part of that is doing away with the idea that things have natures, that there's an essence to things, that there's a built-in design to nature. Uh, so so that the, the thrust of the thought practically is that we, we impose meaning based on what we choose. Um, and so from that, there's expressions in the art that, that don't um, communicate anything except for what the artist wants to say and then what the, the receiver wants to think. So there, there's no way that, that the art itself corresponds to reality beyond subjective experience. Now, I'm not saying there's no value to art like that. I'm just saying that that kind of art isn't what I'm talking about, that we, we give our heart to to be formed by it. All right, so some of the episodes we'll have coming up as we finish season three of Physically Spiritual, I'll be talking about the interaction of physical health and emotional health and mental health. The different habits of body we have, our diet, our exercise, sleep relationships, how this interacts with our brain and how this interacts with um, with our mind in order to either cause more mental difficulties or become a support. We'll talk about counseling. We'll talk about different practices that are common, um, like journaling, uh, and other practices we can take on and habits we can build to encourage uh, mental health. We'll also talk about uh, spiritual practices, daily prayer for emotional healing, deliverance prayer, uh, healing prayers of traditional prayers like the examine, and ways we can integrate the ideas of healing into these daily practices to grow closer to God. If you want to support the work of Physically Spiritual, the production of these episodes, the time it goes in uh, to making this happen, please consider becoming a part of the Totus Tuus community. The Totus Tuus communities are patrons of this show, Physically Spiritual. Just head over to physicallyspiritual.com. At every giving level, there's a different bonus, something you get uh, in exchange, access to the full AMA episodes, different experiences with, with me or with other content. So head over to physicallyspiritual.com to patronize the show. If you want access to your patron benefits, or to have a great experience listening or watching to any of the Awakened Catholic shows or a great alternate to social media that's Catholic, go over to theawakenapp.io and get the Awaken app. You can also search for the Awaken app on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store.
Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.